So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. hit record and now i've hit record so we are recording Woo! you can hear us because we recorded Woo! all right uh welcome to feature creep colon built-in microwave semicolon uh designing books book design? designing books i don't know book some design. some design related podcast related chit chat about book things mm-hmm. um and this time we're going to do all the good stuff up front. So if this is the first time you're listening, welcome to Future Creep. I'm Ned. I'm Meg. And we do a podcast that has been very regular until very recently when somebody <laughs> kind of created Bottle Jam. But we're slowly filling out the catalog and getting back on track. Um, generally, we try to do about an hour a week. Um, yeah. And our goal is generally, I would say like generally we try to make it we don't do anything crazy with the editing or anything. The main thing is just to make sure it's like easy to listen to, like clear, like what people are saying is clear and the ideas are clear and it's accessible. Like that's kind of the main thing. Um, And then hopefully you tolerate the sound of our voices and it's something that brings (laughs) some joy to your life the way it does for us. Cause let's be honest, uh, Meg, you and I have been doing this regardless. Like it's hard to know exactly how many people actually listen. The numbers are kind of, um, Somewhere in the realm. Imprecise. Imprecise, but somewhere we think there's about 200 unique individuals out there that are that listen to this podcast like at least once a month or more. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, but what I was going to say is <laughs> we would love to hear from you and uh, you can reach us by email. I, I know we're on some social media, but we're very inactive and don't really like social media. Yeah. Um, so it's tearing us apart. If you would like to talk to us directly, you can email us. You can go to our website, fcbm.io, where contact information should be pretty easy to find. Or you can just email Dana, our executive assistant, directly. Our executive assistant, sometime host, sometimes mm-hmm. host, uh, Dana. Yeah. She's really great. Um, and her email is dana at fcbm.io. And you can direct all of your um armchair criticisms or uh however you wish to wish to couch your ideas um both positive and negative you can get them to us and we can look at them and read them and either get back to you or if you'd like we can talk about them on the podcast but again or i say again because we were just talking about this but i if you send us something like you can be pretty assured we're not going to release it to the public without your express permission. Like we're not going to talk yeah. about you or your name or what you said without at least giving you the opportunity to say that's not something you want. Like this is kind of an opt-in situation here. Like you can send us something and we will of course we're going to read it, but then if we'd like to talk about it on the podcast, we're going to probably reach back to you and say, "Hey, we'd like to talk about this. What do you think?" Um Yeah. And generally, like, you know, we're definitely like if you use your personal email address, we're definitely not collecting those. Um, no, we don't. There's really no financial <laughs> gain. Anything. No, yeah. we really don't collect anything. I mean, in theory, it will have been collected into my inbox 
um, mm-hmm. like we'll know about you and that's, you know, that that's the risk you're going to have to run, but we're not looking right. to, I'm not pushing to have people email us because we'd like to know about email addresses because we're making some kind of crazy mailing list. In fact, we don't have a mailing list, nor do we have any nope. plan to. So any response you get from us would probably be directly from a human being. Um, one of the two of us. One of the yeah. two of us or Dana. Yeah. So, yeah. um, Although Lauren's been very popular on the podcast lately, um, mm-hmm. or very popular, I, I have no idea if she's popular. She's popular with the the two of the three of us that care um, or that have <laughs> any say in whether she could do the podcast, which is we're very we we yeah. like to have Lauren um, join us when she can. So uh, right. she also listens, which is I think great. Um, yeah, I actually listen to our own podcast occasionally, uh, which is a little unnerving because sometimes it sounds like you're in the room when I'm not oh. like if I'm not paying attention because <laughs> I'm just like I'm so used to your voice like when we hang yeah. out we talk so much it's like having the podcast in the background it's like if I'm not hearing myself talk and you're like on some diatribe or it's like you and Laura and I'm like oh you guys oh damn it you guys aren't here uh, right respond yeah. to me right um, <laughs> I'm not here anyway the purpose of this podcast is Meg <laughs> you have had this ingenious idea so we have a book that is almost published and we've been um mm-hmm we're kind of hung up on a, the last couple things, which is like attaching the ISBN number to it and actually getting it out into the marketplace. Yeah. Um, like any good project, the first 90% is just as hard just, as the last 10%. Yes, exactly. Uh, so we have a book called uh, anytime a bell rings, which uh, is essentially ready. Um, and so hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll actually be able to say, yep, it's actually available. Um, thing. Yeah, because I remember we were like, oh, it'd be really fun to have this available for Christmas last year. Right. So not too late. We could still do it for this year. Um, Christmas. Yeah. And that book is full of amazing art uh, that Meg drew in response to like, I don't even remember. I, I'm not sure I fully remember the. um, The process. The process. So we well what it was yeah so what it was was like anytime a bell rings something happens to an angel like an angel right. gets its wings an right angel gets its wings right. so then like taking that statement and transforming it into like every time a train bell a train horn sounds or mm-hmm. every time you <clears throat> um you know a baby cries or whatever then something happens to an angel right right whereas like you know they get their wings when the bell rings but what mm-hmm. else happens when other things happen <laughs> what they don't tell you is right and so that book is an exploration <laughs> right of this idea and it has this amazing artwork that meg did and um and so we together put some like interesting artificial constraints on ourselves too when we wrote this book like yes we compiled the text of it and then uh you hand wrote our first copy Yes. Yeah. So and I we, we sewed it together on the scene on the right. On the, like um, we we printed. I think I think what we did is we scanned all of your your artwork and then we yep. just I printed out individual pages and so and hand bound them. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, and how we decided uh, like <clears throat> the amount of time that the amount of time that I had to draw the drawing. Yes. Was essentially you would handwrite 
the text that I was then illustrating and you would pass it to me across the table. Right, right. And I would start drawing the illustration that went with the text that you had just handed me yep. while you were working on the next section of text. Yes. And as soon as you had that next section of text done, I had to be done with the drawing that I was drawing. And so right. we kept pace with each other and you kind of like set the pace for however arbitrarily long it took you to like hand inscribe this text yeah. is how long I had to draw the next drawing. And so <laughs> yeah, we, were we literally, finished the entire book in a weekend. We were sitting in the, um, in the podcast the the quote podcast studio in the at right. that big table like you can imagine like kind yeah. of like one of those like ikea conference tables like it's probably what like i'd say six feet by three feet or something like yeah. that um yeah. and we we're just sitting across from it just passing <laughs> like coloring and and writing it was pretty fun um great. so uh meg has come up with another idea that actually i think fits that same kind of work process and i'm actually very excited about this which is um so it's a collection of book titles and, yes. and first sentences and first sentences. Yeah. And so as an example, a given page might be um, it might have the cover of a tale of two cities. And right. then the first sentence would start with um, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness, blah, 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 blah. Ending with a lot of pretense and, um, you know, ending the ending this one long run on sentence in the statement in the superlative degree of comparison only. Um, and so I love the idea of this where, Instead of doing real world books, I mean, we will probably draw from these for inspiration, but we will come yeah. up with um, book titles and and the sentences that drive them. Like, right. uh, I think it is funny. Uh, there was a book. Um, uh, so there's a novel by James Joyce, Fenegan's Wake. Yes. And uh, there is another author called Tim Robbins who wrote um, some really I I find his stories really fantastically funny um, like he wrote so one of the books that he wrote was called uh, Fierce Invalids Home from Hot Climates which I really enjoy because it's so um, it's such a funny uh, not Tim Robbins Tom Robbins did I say Tim Robbins uh, I thought you said Tom, but I know that the author's name is Tom Robbins. Yeah, so Tom if Robbins. If you said yeah. Tim, I probably just thought Tom anyway. Anyway, um, he wrote uh, so fierce, fierce invalids home from hot climates was like reading this book was the first time that I was like, wait, I like you end up like you're kind of rooting for this guy who is like you're like this guy is a pedophile I think like he talks <laughs> about it like and and he has this obsession with like his underage niece or something and or his like uh -huh. 17 year old niece or something like that or 17 year old stepsister um oh god well he's so first of all I if I remember correctly he never actually has and never acts on any of these things as far as I know. Right. So there's not a, actually like, it's, it's not just glorifying. part of the, the inner it's, monologue. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's this flawed character. And also it's funny cause he's like as much in love with her as he also is with this like 40, 46 year old nun. Like he's kind of, it's <laughs> like it, it's interesting. Um, I think what I like about it is it, it delves into this, like this, like inner, like sort of psyche of somebody where it's like, it's one thing to entertain thoughts. It's another to act on them, right? Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it doesn't make me a pedophile because one time I thought about having sex with an underage girl. Like I'm not saying I ever would do that. Obviously I'm not admitting right. to that. I never did, but 
my point is yes, like hypothetically what goes on in your mind is vastly different from the actions and things that you do in the real world especially and so, if if they're like including someone else yes yeah, yeah especially yeah well right i mean that's like the big the whole issue of pedophilia is the non-consent part of it like right, right. if everyone if we could all like if if five or six or whatever if like 15 year old people we felt socially were as a you know as autonomous and full of agency as a full-grown adult then we wouldn't have an issue with it like all of right. the real issue comes with the idea that it's like but they don't know what they're actually consenting to like they're right. not able to <clears throat> fully appreciate the ramifications and the outcome like all of the problems with that um, yeah being being able to say yes or no doesn't actually indicate that you understand what you're saying yes or no to right exactly and and yeah I, anyway i this is kind of a i mean we never like to go off on tangents <laughs> this has here. nothing to do with the subject of our <laughs> no, future book <laughs> my, the point is man i love like let's just go with this like here's like a yeah. classic ned like adhd train of thought right. right like oh book titles speaking of first <laughs> sentences there's this author james joyce by the way, there's this other ro author, Tom Robbins, who wrote yeah. this book. And the reason I'm telling this story is I believe this is the, I think this is the book where he talks about this. I think in Fierce Invalids, Home from Hot Climates, there's yeah. a moment where the main character somehow gets roped into this like Fennigan's Wake, like society club or something. And he's like going <laughs> to give like, he's got to give some speech and he's never read the book. And so he only he reads the first page of the book and uh -huh. talks about that for like an hour or something. I think that, <laughs> I think that's this book. It's been a long time. Um, but I know it's a Tom Robbins book for sure, but I think it's this one. Um, but anyway, Fennigan's wake, uh, I would argue is like also a good example of where, um, and I'm just trying to find, like the, the opening line the opening line because it's Fennigan's wake is like is kind of nonsense um or i have not i have not read it in full although you better believe i read the uh the first page after that book so right um yeah let me just find the opening man it it starts off weird let's see Yeah, I mean, the first sentence is not even capitalized. It's just chapter one starts midway in a sentence, and the sentence goes, lowercase, river run, comma, past Eve and Adams, from swerve of shore to bend of bay, brings us by commodious vicus, vis, yeah, commodious vicus of recirculation back to Houth Castle and environs. That is the first, that is the first partial sentence because it, again, it starts off, midway through the sentence uh -huh. um and it just goes on like that it's a lot of the words are kind of made up um the grammar is like missing entirely it's sort of this weird stream of consciousness nice. um yeah and i i just love that there are books like this in the world that have been written by you know well well regarded authors and um it's like the Wikipedia article. I love like yeah. the second paragraph goes, despite the <laughs> obstacles, readers and commentators have reached a broad consensus about the book's central cast of characters and to a lesser degree, its plot, but key details remain elusive. 
Oh my God. I have to read this now. I had no idea. Yeah. So this was published in uh, the 4th of May, 1939 by James Joyce, or he was the author. Um, right. I'm not sure what the publication company was published in London, it looks like. Um, yeah. It's, it's a really like, I find the existence of this book just fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's uh it Did, he wrote other books, right? James Joyce wrote other books. Yeah, yeah. So James Joyce um wrote uh wrote other books that are probably more more accessible, if nothing else. Mm. Um so I would Yeah, that's say, like a famously inscrutable book, right? Yeah, like Ulysses, I think, is one of his <gasps> yes. um, like probably more famous or like the one that people think of. Like that's uh, like that's a classic I, to have read. I think um, I have that on Kindle and I haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, I mean that's certainly I, I may die before I get to it. Right. Um <clears throat> I mean fucking reading uh <clears throat> I was just thinking of reading um uh DFW's fucking uh Dave Foster David Foster Wallace's uh Infinite Jest. Infinite Jest. Yeah. The the book stop or the doorstop of the a book. The doorstop of a book, yeah. yeah. Um I love that you almost called him Dave Foster Wallace. It's just like you're, you're like buddies, like right, buddies. Right, right. Dave Foster Wallace was on my yacht the other day. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um Here's the first sentence of Love in the Time of Cholera. Oh yes. Yeah. It was inevitable. The scent of bitter almonds always reminded him of the fate of unrequited love. Nice. Nice. like you don't even read you don't even need to read the rest of it no no that's, that's like you already know where it's gonna go um I, like, this isn't gonna get any happier is it right <laughs> i i like uh like just you know it's yeah it's not like the whole thing with the scented all the scent of almonds say it read it again uh oh shit hang on let me find yeah. it again <clears throat> uh let's see I can't. Find. Oh, here we go. It was inevitable. The scent of bitter almonds always reminded him of the fate of unrequited love. Right. So you know some guy's upset. Right. This book is about an upset man. Right. Right. Uh, let's see. There's other ones. So yeah, I I just had this idea. The the idea mm -hmm. for this book that kind of mirrors the same production style that we had for our last book that yes. is still to be our first book right um <laughs> our last book which is our first book right in the future yes um so this one that i was thinking of is that we would compile a list of book titles and first sentences mm -hmm. um either in conjunction with each other or just alternately we could you know split them up it doesn't really matter sure um but so the book itself <clears throat> would be you open it up and on the first page is either the um, cover of the book uh -huh. or the first sentence of said book. And then when you turn the page, it's just another book title uh -huh. and cover or another first sentence or a book title and a first sentence or whatever. Um, right. And it right. just goes on like that. And maybe there will be little like clever illustrations to go with the, the start of the chapter, chapter one. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and like uh it's just like there's so many like uh here's one from david sedaris yeah. from me talk pretty one day anyone who watches even the slightest amount of tv is familiar with the scene an agent knocks on the door of some seemingly ordinary home or office 
It's like, I don't yeah. know what else. <clears throat> right. I mean, the, the one, uh, the beginning of um, infinite jest is also like, if we're just sticking strictly to the first sentence mm-hmm. is also kind of like not anticlimactic. Right. Which yeah. is, I would argue the first hundred pages of infinite jest are a little bit like that. The yes. first, the first, the first chapter draws you in a little bit, but you don't mm-hmm. really get hooked until I think about a hundred or so pages into it. Um, like it kind of meanders for a while, but anyway, yes. the first sentence is just, I am seated. So the chapter one are the chapter year of glad. So the whole, if you haven't read this book, it's fantastic. And like all of the, it's the sort of dystopian near future where the, you're no longer allowed to refer to the years as their date. Like you can't be like 1998 or like 2012. Instead, they get sponsored by companies. And so they buy <laughs> they, they buy all this money. Like they pay the government or whatever to buy the, the year. year. The year depends adult yeah. And so, yeah. And so it's hard at first <laughs> when you're reading it to get a sense of the timeline because you're trying to figure out. But then eventually you come across a page where it talks about what, year is like correlated with what like Mm -hmm. the order of the years and Mm -hmm. so the year of glad is when we start the story or the first chapter it's not chronologically the first year that you're learning about but it is the one that we start the story on um Mm -hmm. yeah and but his writing is like as you've kind of pointed out for being such a sexist it's such a he's such a fucking bastard for being so good at writing Um, I know like I should not there should be no way that I appreciate him like he was a misogynist in some ways and like really elitist in other ways and like um but also like (laughs) and this is totally baffling and crazy considering our demographic differences like I really identify with his shit right right which is super annoying what does that say about me yes yeah Yeah. (laughs) also Chuck Palahniuk I love Fight Club right right oh god yeah i have a penchant for like uh you know like sexist male authors like also um nicholson baker i love nicholson baker's books too who's that uh bukowski is pretty yes and charles bukowski god i love him too oh he's the best poet ever i i think like i think there's something about um I think partly the way that it's accessible is that it's, I I don't know because I'm both, I'm, I'm a middle-aged white man. Like I've literally have about as I face the least amount of sort of prejudice and like society or like sort of institutionalized like Mm -hmm. sexism and racism. Um, But from what I've read about uh, there's some, some people appreciate the racism of the South because it's more, uh, it's more upfront. It's not hidden. Mm-hmm. You know where it is. It's easy to identify. And right. I imagine in some ways when you're talking like when you're talking about a man who's just like wears his sort of like fucked up sexism like right on the front, it's mm-hmm. a little bit easier to navigate because you always know where you are like well before you get anywhere involved with this person. Like right. you're like, nope, I already know exactly how you feel about all of this shit. And so it's both easier to not feel like it's lurking in the corner, like going to jump mm-hmm. on you or like, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm speculating, but um, yeah, like people here, for instance, yeah. are really racist, uh, but they won't tell you that they will act as though they are friendly toward you. Right. Right. <clears throat> but then when you leave the job interview, you never hear from them again. 
Right, right. Like you're not going to know that they're actually like they actually think less of you because you're a woman right. or they're like, you know, it's going to be in subtle ways that they you're going to find you. out downstream when you realize that that person is never calling you back or you're not getting that job or you've been right. um, <clears throat> rejected for a mortgage or like whatever. Like there's all of these um, hidden ways that uh, like where I live prevents people from achieving things or being comfortable or uh, amassing wealth or um, power in our in our social structure like there's just all these things that are sort of behind the scenes but up front everyone here gets along face to face it's why like we have the annoying phrase minnesota nice it's not actually nice it's passive aggressive right right Mm -hmm. it's like people here are extremely um uh like avoiding they avoid confrontation Mm -hmm. like success here is if you really dislike someone but you can navigate a friendly relationship with them and they can walk away not knowing how much you dislike them right right you've succeeded then you're like holding the social contract even when you turn around and like deny them basic rights right Right. so (laughs) that's how we operate here (laughs) uh (laughs) it really sucks i i keep trying to think about um that's how I think a lot of people can live here and be like, it's not racist here. Yeah, right, right. Like, I I get, um, like, I don't, I try to think about things in context of, like, where I grew up and, like, where I currently live, like, in Southern mm-hmm. California and, like, how the, how contrasting that against, like, say, um, like, an issue mm-hmm. of racism, like, we have it here. And I yeah. would say that, um uh, definitely sort of other ethnic minorities besides uh, black Americans or African American, you know, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, BIPOC. Yeah. BIPOC. Like besides, besides, well, besides, I mean specifically besides black African Americans or black Americans or whatever mm-hmm. is the appropriate term um, mm-hmm. or however they want to identify themselves. Cause it's not none of my goddamn business. Um, yeah. They're uh, I think that, that, uh, Mexican or like Latinos or Latinx communities suffer more like institutionalized racism, maybe in, in California, maybe I don't know. Yeah. I can't speak to it. I do know what I grew up with and what I've seen is that I think that, um, to some extent they get more of the brunt of it on the face of it. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, what I've seen, is that you know BIPOC and just in general obviously like it's not good here as it is not good anywhere like it's still a problem and in many ways it's like here where we like to pretend like it's not a problem so we sweep it under the rug more like San Diego has a huge turnover so I think a lot of our like police interactions especially with like minorities gets lost in the news because partly we have such a transient um it's a big military town so we have a big transient like sort of resident community that sure, comes over a lot. Sure, people who live there might not live Yeah, there so people long. aren't as invested in like what's going on and there's less like par- sort of public outcry and and you know and also like most of coastal California cities like the main thing the main drive of everything is like real estate money, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. all about like maximizing real estate value and things. And so all of the big leaders are more turned towards like well what's going to protect our property values and so things that are happening are more about raising the quality of life for the people who have than the people who don't. Um, yeah. and continuing that divide and California is not any better in that regard. Like I think yeah. it's I think we 
do okay in some ways. Like I think um, there's still thought towards the existence of like our continued existence and doing better for the world. And like we do, like some things are good. Like we do set standards for because we have such a large population and and especially when it comes to um vehicle like when it comes to cars and like personal ownership of cars um we set a lot of the standards for emission control because Mm -hmm. we can control such a large part of the market that when we pass a law that says stricter emission controls like lots of companies they're going to do it because that's yeah. where they're going to make a lot of their money is selling yes. cars in California. Um, yep. And it's, and understandably it's why a lot of people who come from out of state don't want to register their cars here. Cause it's like, that's a fucking financial nightmare for me. I come from yes. a place where already it costs less to live. Now I'm paying a lot more money. And now the thing that I must have this vehicle to run, like right. I have to meet this other insane emission standard. That's like, on the order of like buying a whole new used vehicle, like thousands of yeah. dollars to like maybe if, if it's even possible. So, um, right. it's, not to, it's, yeah. it's kind of annoying because like I, it's, I vacillate, right? Like on yeah. one hand, I'm like, of course, uh, of course I'm going to get behind the, the, uh, mandate for cleaner air. Right. right. Yeah. Great. But that mandate should be on the fucking vehicle makers, not the individual poor like saps who like, well, I need a fucking car. You guys won't let me live without a car. Right. It's impossible the way that everything is set up before I got here. Yep. Everything was set up so that I have to have a car to be a, a participating member of society, which is required for me to make money, which is required for me to live at this point. Right. And so there's like you put a bunch of individuals into a situation where they're trapped between a gigantic goddamn mandate for cleaner air and a bunch of gigantic goddamn car companies who are like, not my problem and make cars that nobody can technically drive without spending a bunch of retrofitted extra money on it to make it viable to drive in California for the clean air standards. The problem is not the clean air standard. The problem is that you're holding individuals accountable for something that should be decided and fixed at a much higher level than that. Right. God damn it. (laughs) And thus is the entire struggle of our generation. Why am I being held responsible for the fact that some asshole makes everything out of fucking plastic and I have no choice but to like wash my clothes, got to do the things, got to like feed myself, got to wash my clothes, got to live in a place. All of it's made out of plastic. I have no control over that. Right. Yeah, you can't. Defining struggle of our generation. Why are the individuals being held responsible for shit that is not solvable on an individual scale? annoying so yeah there's another that there could be a a book opening right there right (laughs) yeah so um i love this idea and i am very much um in favor of trying to set up some sessions where we do kind of the same thing where it's like we kind of back and forth both titles and sentences and um and potentially artwork um i don't see why there couldn't be a little bit of artwork uh you know we'll have to kind of one of the ones that i thought of i'm not going to reveal the the sentence here because i don't want somebody to steal my idea and actually write a good book that then sells and now i can't use it and it's like well i didn't write the book though it's i'm not claiming plagiarism (laughs) it's just the opening sentence which i had no intention of doing anything with anyway yeah so um like but what i was thinking of is like this opening sentence that's kind of like a like a murder mystery thing and Uh just like a little tiny drawing of a bloody knife (laughs) nice yes yeah exactly like it doesn't have to be complicated um Mm -hmm. And I think we should get Chris back in on this because he did such an excellent job doing the layout for our other book. And I bet he yes. would be super good at like contributing. Um, yeah, contributing to yeah. this. So, And I know uh, when I shared this idea a little while ago, Lauren seemed really excited about 
uh, coming up with like first sentences or titles. Oh, cool. So yes. I'm sure she'll get in on it too. Yeah. I, I really, I enjoy the way that Lauren, um, like when we have an idea, like I think you and I often like lock in at like a certain level yeah. and, and that's fine and it's good. And we're often like very simpatico. It's like, nope, this is it. And it's like, like we're playing by an unspoken rule that mm-hmm. like you and I are just like, that's, that's it. So like everything's yep. kind of like that. And then Lauren comes along and she's like, well, since that rule is unspoken, I'm assuming it's not a rule and then says or has this idea that's like absolutely actually fits, but yeah. feels so different. And it's so enjoyable because it's like it's so novel. And I'm like, oh, my God, like we do get like, you know, we'll like feed on each other and we'll be yeah. like way down a pathway. And she's like, hey, so I walked down this other path to this other thing over <laughs> here. And we're like, what the fuck what? is that over there? That's amazing. How did you yeah. find that? anyway i i mean not always like sometimes she's just like right and like we're all three of us are just like you know spiraling down the rabbit hole um but i anyway i do appreciate that uh about her um but Mm -hmm. i I guess what i'm saying is i appreciate that when she has them she brings them up and and shares them as opposed to like oh that won't fit never mind like she's like totally here check out this cool thing i just thought of yeah and i like sometimes my initial reactions but that that breaks the rules she's like what rule <laughs> like well i mean i get oh, oh well now that you this mentioned whole time it. i thought there was a rule right i think i i'm excited to see if dana has anything that she'd like to contribute to this project yes too, because she yes. is probably my most literary friend yeah she is a prolific reader i mm-hmm. i've been trying to read some of the books she's recommended and it's taken me a while to get caught up on that but um uh-huh. yeah she's really great yeah I have been feeling bad because I have not been spending enough time reading. Like I read for school. Yeah. And that takes up a huge amount of time. But um, I haven't like somehow I keep thinking every day that I don't have things scheduled like, oh, this could be like six solid hours of reading. And then like I never get around to it. And I'm like, how is this not happening? Like it's one of my favorite things to do is just sit and read. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, I'm like, how? I need to. I used to read before bed. And I think I need Mm. to go back to that because I. Um, I've fallen into this trap of like when I'm unwinding from work of like watching TV or like just laying on a couch or something and not just like reading is actually like a pretty great way to kind of unwind and get lost in things. So yeah, it's been a while since I've had a book where I remember times in my life where I've had books that I was so into that it's like every moment that I'm not doing something I have to, I'm like trying to read the book Oh yeah. where I'm just like, I bring it with me everywhere and I'm like in class and I'm like, Oh, the teacher's like not talking for five minutes. I'm going to read another chapter or whatever. Yes. Just like, just like blaze through whatever I can every moment. I'm like, can I walk and read? I think I can. I know this well, like, you know, just like that level of like, mm-hmm. you know, um, compulsive. Yeah. Compulsively yeah. sucked into this book. The, there are two books that I can think of off the top of my head that have been like that for me. The first of which <clears throat> was um, A Handmaid's Tale when I read that, mm-hmm. like mm, maybe 15 years ago. And uh, maybe it was longer than that. And uh, the other one was um, also around the same time, The Devil in the White City, which was about the Chicago Columbian World Exposition mm-hmm. um, where... Uh, Westinghouse financed a bunch of stuff and Edison and Tesla were competing for contracts to electrify the Crystal City that they built on these false like little um, levees and um, 
like this, they drained the swampland and built up this thing just for the Columbian World's Fair. And like um, at the same time, there were architect. There was a woman who was an architect who got the contract to do the stuff, and yeah. it was because some other things fell through. But she was a better co- architect anyway, and so it was really great that she got the contract. And so she designed a lot of stuff. And simultaneous to all of that going on, H. H. Holmes built his murder house and was like killing tons of people in Chicago, just like blocks away from the exposition. And like the book is completely nonfiction. And it's like, I don't know, 300 odd pages or something. It's a, it's not short. Um, it took me two days to get through it and I was reading it like compulsively. Like I, I ate cereal the whole time. So I didn't have to like cook food. I just ate cereal and I laid on the couch and read it and like read it while I was walking around and read it while I was brushing my teeth. And the only time I wasn't reading it was when I went to sleep or was in the bathtub and like even in the bathtub I was reading it and it was so compelling and it reads like a, a fiction story because there are these like insane technological leaps happening with these hyper competitive people and like uh, uh, just like marvels of engineering and uh, also like tons of murder. Just yeah. like crazy and all true. Yeah. Wow. That sounds really like just enthralling. And The Handmaid's Tale is just how we live now. So, you know, everybody knows that already. God, I know. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, that's a thing. Well, that's a thing. Um, yeah. I. Uh, so yeah, that's the idea for the book is just like a bunch of starts that would be really interesting, but none yeah. of the um, pressure to actually follow up on any of it. Right. No, I think that's great. Um, yeah. I like the idea that somebody might actually write a book based on one of them. Yeah. Like I'm wondering if there's a way that we could like make sure that they're available in that. I think that I think it would just be available in that capacity because I think if you're doing a you're you're allowed to expand on somebody else's work from a copyright point of view, I think. Hmm. There's sort of I mean, is there like, some way that we could publish it that it like I we would just not sue people, right? That's the idea. I mean, that's or the like, one. Yeah, like uh, like you can do that, but I think there's also um there's like copy left and some other ideas that uh I don't know. Uh, like I think mm-hmm. the main thing is that as long as we make our intentions clear, people would probably feel comfortable in doing that because mm-hmm. um, it's like anything. The problem with I, my understanding is the problem with like civil law is that um, contracts are just one part of it, right? Like just because yeah. you said something doesn't make that like like yeah. everything is everything is individual, and so it's like you know the problem obviously would be if someone else owned the rights to our book at some point and then decided to like go chase after other people. Mm. It doesn't matter whether they're going to win or lose. Everybody loses if somebody is deciding to like enter into like a legal conflict. Right. Um, so you know, which is one of the reasons that I think I've also been a little reticent about the title of our book. Every time a bell rings, um, just because it's such a f- widely known phrase. Right. Um, but I don't, as far as I can tell, I don't see there's any like legal issue because we don't, we never say an angel gets its wings. We do right. all the other shit. Um, right. So I don't know. Anyway, we'll find out. Um, we will. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, you know, I mean, obviously writing this book, like, you know, we can just start with that and then see where it goes from there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I like this idea. I think it would be good. I would yeah. like to, I, it also reminds me of that idea of, um, doing the like the hyperbolic new year's resolutions oh Um, yes you know and i was thinking like you know 
I, when we were discussing it in the chat and Lauren was like, well, aren't all resolutions kind of hyperbolic? And it's like, yeah, I mean, generally they are, but I was thinking about trying to like really hyperbolic, really hyperbolic or like really specific ones that are just like, just, you know, absurd. Um, but I, <laughs> none really like kind of came to me after, like I thought of that and then I was like, oh, you know, like, like I'm going to lose 50 pounds or I'm going to like, you know, but then I was thinking like, well, that's really not actually that funny because people end up saying that and i it's one of the reasons i never found the office that funny yes. that show because i'm like i it, for a lot of people i think it feels like hyperbole but oh. then those of us who've been in environments that are actually much much more toxic and much more worse than that mm -hmm. it feels both um not enough to really stress it and also too close to home where you're just like no having yeah. a boss be that shitty to somebody is lots of people's like reality like mm -hmm. and what you don't get i think from the show is that you miss that like the intensity of someone having this much power over you because your yes. livelihood depends on them continuing to employ you and pay you mm -hmm. and despite what some people's experiences might be like getting jobs isn't always that easy and when you run out of that money your life is really hard yes like not having you know, either not having some safety net, whether it's through family or friends or, um, you know, and finding yourself in a situation where you owe a lot of money or you mm -hmm. need to borrow money to continue to just exist to maintain a bare subsistence of a level of a life um, right. is is fucked up when you go to work and the person who has control over that is joking about firing you every day or put, right. playing pranks on you or being shitty to you in some weird sexist way or saying things that are really inappropriate. Like you, like I, I never think it's weird that people don't speak up about shit. That's so fucked up. Like mm -hmm. when somebody's like, well, I didn't want to say anything. I'm like, of course you didn't want to say, of course anything. you didn't want to say anything. You had you everything riding on the line. Yeah. Like you shut the fuck up and try to keep your head down and not lose everything that matters to you. Right. Like the job doesn't matter. The money matters. And that's right. what's holding you there. And people forget that that is yep. such a huge impact for wh where it's easy if you're like, you know, I've got thousands of dollars, or millions of dollars or whatever. Like you've got a retirement or you've got, you know, yeah. some wealth socked away or, you know, you're comfortable in your job. And then you look at it and it just seems funny. And I'm like, it's not funny. It's fucked up. No. Also, like anytime I see the office, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm right. not doing this unless I'm getting paid. Right. Exactly. I'm like, this, this is, is not fun. I came home from this. Why would I want to watch more of what I have to watch unfold in front of me every day? Yeah. I think the only way that you can watch that show and enjoy it is if you have never worked in an office or if you are part of the problem. Right. Yeah. So fuck you, everybody who likes the office. <laughs> right. Quit being part of the problem. Right. Fucking terrible show. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I like Steve Carell. I think he's really funny. And I also oh, yes. really love Ricky yeah. Gervais. And I yep. think like they I love, did uh, yeah. perfect right. at what they were supposed to do. I just don't think it's funny. Yeah. I think they're funny. I don't think right. that role is funny. You're right. Um, anyway, so. Uh, oh, unpopular opinion. I also think that Jim's character is the worst behaved. He's worse than Michael on that show. Mm. Jim is terrible. Yeah. Everybody thinks that Jim is like some knight in shining armor and like the cute guy in the office who makes all of Pam's dreams come true. And I'm like, right. Jim is a sociopath. He's a psychopath. Uh -huh. He drives Dwight to like just tortures his coworker, Dwight, yeah. um, who like obviously has some hangups that, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, are like 
open for exploitation, which is exactly what Jim does. And right. he's like super shitty to everybody and really sarcastic and a total cynic and is a fucking asshole and trades on his looks and makes everybody think he's the nice guy, which is exactly how he gets away with everything. Yeah. I mean, I think prize asshole. I think it's like a, um, it's also kind of funny because he, the character to be clear, like the character is, um, I think oh, in many ways. Also, John yeah. Krasinski is a real fucking asshole too in real life. Just so you know, is that the actor? Yeah, who plays uh, Jim on The Office? Oh, okay, I didn't. Yeah, I don't know that much about him. Yeah, he's um, a jerk. But uh, I think the um, I think the character ends up kind of being portrayed as like what what the normal man would do. Like we're the every man. Like like this is us in this fucked up situation and how we would deal with it. And it's like mm-hmm. no like. You yeah, like you bring up a good point where a lot of times he ends up instigating some of these things that are just like you know, and then it's like they show him being like, How fucked up is this? And it's like, Yeah, how fucked up is it that you continue to stay yep. in that environment? Yeah. Like, you know, if it's that fucked up, what? Mm-hmm. Um yep. he's codependent to it because he's the cause of most of the fucked up things. Yeah. So anyway, um constant instigator. It's it's a. Uh, yeah, I, I have um, I have mixed feelings about the American office. The the mm-hmm. the English office was very easy for me to just be like, nope, because the English office is just garbage. Like the whole time, like I love yeah. Ricky Gervais. Like his humor is fantastic. Um, I just never that show. I just was like, you're like, I think I think you haven't fully experienced how awful it is to actually like many of us live in this environment and what you're doing, what you're portraying, isn't enough of a like. Um, a departure with, from reality yeah or i was gonna say like it's not enough of a what's it like where you mock something it's satire like a satire it's not enough of a satire to make it a satire it right. just feels like you're kind of walking working through the paces of shit that actually happens for lots of people yep um and so then i'm just like well this just isn't this brand of like awkward humor is is mm-hmm. fallen too close it's the uncanny valley there yeah for me like i'm just you know it's like it's too close to home but it's not quite there and so it just yep. feels you know like un unpleasurable and and disorienting um yeah i am not a fan and and doesn't pay off with the like building tension and then joke it's like my problem is like where where he's trying to relieve the tension where it like it bursts into some hyperbole of like shitty behavior by somebody mm-hmm. i'm like Right. That's that's when it starts to feel real. And then it's upsetting. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Then people do that shit like right. the awkward shit happens and the funny things. And then like then they progress and it escalates. And then people do that. And then right. people start from that point of escalation and that sexism and like bigotry and like, you know, just poor treatment of other people and other human mm-hmm. beings. And they just carry that through. And like, that's not funny to me. Yeah. Um, it's it's sort of, you know, when somebody wants to make fun of it, it's funny, but I felt like you're not, you're not actually making fun of it. You just turned it like weird documentary show. Yeah. Like there are, uh, there are shows where there's much worse behavior that I find much more palatable, like always sunny in Philadelphia or Seinfeld or like, um, I'm trying to think curb your enthusiasm where it's like the whole, all of those shows center around objectively terrible people. Like, Mm -hmm it's all centered on like badly behaved narcissists. And yet it's very enjoyable because you see how like, 
how hyperbolic it is. Like you see how like yeah. how over the top and miserable it is and everybody can be relieved. Like I know something like that, but thank God it's not that bad. Right, right. Like I think I always think of that scene in um, that movie Brazil when uh, Robert De Niro shows up to fix mm-hmm. the fix the HVAC. Yeah. And how it's it's like our one of our favorite things in life is that scene. Yes, yes. Because it like the different like to contrast that with say the office where in this scene it's this idea of being like it's like okay imagine that that we continue down this path where things just got worse and worse where bureaucracy right. weighed on things at such a high level that you couldn't even get your own air conditioning fixed ever in your entire lifetime right. because the you know the path through the bureaucracy is like unnavigable and right. so then imagine this the humor of like you know a rogue hvac agent who zip lines into your apartment makes the repair and beats a hasty getaway as the cops are on his tail like right. that it plays on many tropes and it becomes funny because of the absurdity of it but it's so true in the same sense like it, you yes. now buy like a general electric refrigerator that is plugged into the internet of things and right. when you're filter runs out for your fucking ice machine it just charges your credit card on file and sends one to you automatically because if you try to change the filter yourself your refrigerator will shut down and refuse to work for you right where's the rogue hvac i mean yes like this is like i support an organization called i fix it yes they do like right to repair like yes right to repair is a huge deal yeah yeah there are products in your life whoever you are listening to this that you are not allowed to fix yourself right because the people you bought it from will render it unworkable will take you to court like i mean there's a bunch of stuff like right. the warranty so you can't get it ever fixed again i mean like the new apple iphone is an example if you try to change the screen yourself because it breaks it will not let you use the facial recognition that is required to log into your own phone right yeah it just shuts it down it breaks your phone yeah so like you're you are you, you're how you interact with the things that you own is being dictated by an algorithm plugged into the internet of things that i like yeah like i've had issues with this from the beginning of smartphones mm -hmm. and as soon as we had internet access like even from the beginning of the internet where it became like one of the first things that really bothered me is that typically like in the early days when you were buying broadband or any kind of internet access, you paid for data. Like you pay, like the data that was being used, like cost you something. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were plans where like, you know, data, like, you know, you were limited by the dial up or whatever, and it was a tight pipe and, you know, but ultimately what bothered me was that um, the way that advertising worked where I was paying for that bandwidth, Mm -hmm. like I had no choice Yes, before I even, like like with my phone like this bothers me today it's like i can't like my phone is not my phone like much of what goes on on my computer and on my phone is completely outside of my control like i don't i even though i paid for the hardware and i paid for all of the software in theory i'm it's heavily it's It's like magazines like you buy a magazine and you're like fuck i just paid for like 30 pages of advertising and 10 pages of content Mm-hmm. And you're like, why do people still pay for these things? Like, right. because you're, it's, 
it's such a broken economy of this situation where it's like, you know, you're paying like they want to get money out of you and you're paying for it. But then mm-hmm. people want to pay for your information. So you're paying beyond just the money that you give, like you're giving your personal information. You're, you know, you're they're looking for your vulnerabilities where they can expose you to yep. the possibility of of spending more money on something. Yes. Um, and that's. I, which is again why I brought up like before is like we don't collect your emails even if you email us like that's you know that's just not right. you know we're, we're not, not interested in, yeah we're not interested in that like the numbers of people that listen to this are just kind of like one of those classic old GeoCity counters where it's like how oh, many God, visitors yeah. like remember everybody had those yes, on their website on the bottom of their web page yeah like page. how many views how many people your visitor come, number nine hundred right um. <laughs> Oh man, those went away. But uh, like, that's the thing. I mean, uh, we really don't have anything else to to stand on with that one, except that like we are we are beyond disinterested in collecting your information or doing anything with it. Like, right. we're not even interested in collecting it. Much less, we never even get to the second step of if we did collect it, would we yeah. ever do anything with it? No, because we're never right. collecting it because we don't want it because it's like just outside like i don't believe in unicorns as real things and i also don't have any interest in taking your data right <laughs> it's just a non-issue yeah like yeah. it's not because i'm uh you know i don't know I'm, yeah in, in some way i'm i'm taking an omitted stand against the internet culture that is just here to scrape your data and spy on you yeah in fact if you are a listener to this podcast and you have interest in how we might better collect statistics about our users while so like currently i use the sort of stripped down version of google analytics because it's just so convenient mm-hmm. to count the like to basically register the number of unique visits yeah um, and this is interesting too because like this stuff is happening like it's all counting whether we do it or not like it's not yeah. us that set it up google because google is in charge of all of the things right. at a high level yeah if you participate in any of this there's shit that comes with it and that is right like, google's right. just paying attention to every fucking thing you do yeah like i basically told you know i set up google analytics and i'm like okay like what is this shit can i turn down because the only thing i'm interested in is uh like i want to know like generally like our 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 podcast episodes getting listened to mm-hmm. that's interesting like i don't really care where you're from or who right. you are um and that's <gasps> fine um and it's and that's all fine uh but like i don't need to know if you're 12 or you're 85 or any mm-hmm. of those things like that doesn't really matter to me like any and, of the ways you identify we don't care yeah but I mean, google analytics great, like but yeah we don't but google know. analytics will try to collect as much of that information as it can and so i i think i have most of that turned off like we don't mm-hmm. use it for advertising or anything it's mostly just it's it's essentially like a hit counter it's like how many people listen yeah. today um Mostly because I want to know, like, if we're trending in a particular direction, like, there are real practical things I need to do. Like, if we're starting to get more more users, like, I'm going to need to fix the server so we can support right. more listeners, et cetera. But um, anyway, if you're listening and you are like, fuck yeah, I have ideas about that, we would love to hear about them because there's yeah. no reason we have to use any of those tools. We can, you know, use any of the other tools that might be available. So, yeah. Uh, anyway. we have, what is it that we say we have strong beliefs weekly held? Yeah, strong beliefs weekly held. Right. <laughs> We yep. consider things very deeply, but you know that doesn't mean we hit everything. And if somebody is like, "Hey, what about this?" We're like, "Oh, that's more information. That's great. We'll change our minds." Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. where where were we? Oh, we were complaining about different television shows. Oh my office. god! Yeah, the television shows in the office, and I forget. Anyway, books. James Joyce. Yeah. I I've always Finnegan's uh, Wake. Yeah. Finnegan's Wake. Yeah. Um, 
what uh, I'm trying to think. I have a giant book upstairs that's like it's not a fiction book. So I guess all of these would technically be like fiction novels that we're starting these sentences for because they're made up stories as opposed to like the way to catheterize uh, something. Yes, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I guess they could be they could be fictional um, like manuals or like instruction manuals or like guides mm-hmm. or you know in order to do the thing you must do the blah 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 blah, blah. yeah right. some, like the first like, page of like a weird instructional manual yeah like jim jim's guide to toenail clipping or like you know <laughs> just like yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh god <laughs> right. instructions for really dirty jobs uh-huh uh-huh yeah mm-hmm. um yeah, so that should be fun. I'm really excited to start working on it. We can just start compiling it. Because, like, I've had, for a long time now, I've had, like, these sort of, like, internal thoughts that pop up, like, um, uh, that would be great titles for memoirs. But yeah. I don't really think, I think memoirs are kind of silly. And yeah. so uh, I would never personally write my own memoir um, because I think it's, like, vacuous and pretentious. But uh, if I did... Uh, I can think of a number of um, titles for memoirs. Like uh, this is another thing we talked about on a podcast we previously recorded very recently. Um, All of my family's heirlooms are rainbows. Right. That's a great memoir title. All my heirlooms are rainbows. All our heirlooms heirlooms are rainbows. Right. Turns out those are vacuum cleaners. (laughs) Turns out it's truth and it's a vacuum cleaner. So, you know, now you know. (laughs) It's perfect, right? Right. Like, oh, what a lovely thought. No, it's about... (laughs) It's about vacuum cleaners. Right. I feel like I'll, like mine would be like all my family heirlooms are essentially disappointment. <laughs> right. Or like uh, what's the what's the um, what's like a really dysfunctional relationship? Uh, um, co uh, codependent codependency. Code, codependency. Yeah, yeah. My family legacy is codependence. <laughs> Your coat of arms is really a codependence. <laughs> right. Oh, nice. <laughs> the English language is so fun. That is very fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, or like uh everything is a trigger for me. That's another t- uh-huh. title for my memoir. Everything is a trigger for me. Right? Mm-hmm. Um uh so I um I do have to uh, get wrapping up. Get here. to step in. Are yeah. we going to um, hear from the the uh, research team about colors of the day? Uh, yes. Uh, oh my gosh! They just sent me this, and I'm like, "What the fuck? This is fantastic!" Hold on. Let okay. me uh, also send it on the uh, on the messenger room. Woo! So this one is it. this one just cracks me up. <laughs> It's so like both the colors and the names. I don't know what they were thinking when they came up with this one, but it's just, just over the top good. Um, like everything about it is spectacular. These colors could not be more like diametrically opposed. I don't think. Like so, the first color. Um, I'll I'll describe the color first, and then you can read the name. So the first color is like a a sort of a too light olive green. It's sort of puke green or like baby, baby diarrhea green. Like it's sort of a green Brown. Um, the RGB value for this is one, three, eight, one, four, five, three, one. So a lot of red and green, um, with not a lot of blue. 
Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of brown, but it's like just a little more green. Um, the hexadecimal value, which you can just pop into Google on your phone or whatever is sitting in front of you. Um, if you do a search for this, it should pop up the actual color. Uh, the hexadecimal value will be uh, hashtag 8alpha911 foxtrot. Once again, that's hashtag 8a911f. Very um, nice. So this this sort of like just kind of disgusting color. Mm-hmm. What's the name of this color? I just love it. It's a uh, castrated pianoforte. Yeah. <laughs> and if if you don't know what a pianoforte is, it's kind of like the historical pre- precursor to a to a modern day piano. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. And I think like I the sound that I imagine is like really great with this color like the sound of a castrated pianoforte like it just to me is like somehow it's like out of tune but makes more of a clatter like the keys are like like squeaky and Mm -hmm. like it's kind of fucked up like somebody dropped it down some steps but it's still mostly like you can you can make noise with it but you can't make music Um, tone is very strained yeah the tone is very strained Uh um like you know if you play it, the the likelihood of a string popping is is good. So you might hear the like the the ringing of a tone before it pops, and you hear the twang as the the yes. high tension cable like wreaks havoc on the soundboard inside the piano. Yes. Um, that kind of thing. Uh, so this is this is paired with um, as if you're the first time listeners, we always do uh, two colors because a single color just wasted your goddamn time. Right. Um, you need something to contrast it with. You need something to give it depth, right? Yes. So uh, having at least another color will help. So the, uh, the, the uh, actually these are complementary colors, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. So the complementary color to this is uh, called biomorphic sentimentalism or no, sorry, biomorphic sentimentalist. I think it's bimorphemic. Bimorphemic. Yes, yeah. that's right. Bimorphemic sentimentalist. Yes. Uh, and this color, uh, RGB values are 117, 110, 224. So you can already tell it's much more blue. Um, yes. Hexadecimal value is going to be uh, pound sign, hashtag octothorpe, whatever. So hashtag 756 echo echo zero. That's hashtag 756 ee zero. Um, so good. Yeah. Once again, pop that in the Googler there and you can have a look at this color with us, but it is like, I, it is blue, mm-hmm. little it's bit of lavender, kind of purple. Like it's having a little bit of a, like an identity crisis. I yeah. think as far this as this reminds like, me of like, you know how the queen of England wears those like super color coordinated monochrome yes. suit, yeah. suit and mm-hmm. hat thing. This yep. looks absolutely like, like this a would color be a shade she would that, wear. Yeah, yes. like around Easter or something she'd wear. Yeah, yeah, I can totally like see that. Yep. Easter egg dyed pale purple dress looking, hunting for Easter eggs dress. Yeah, like grandkids in the Yorkies or whatever. Like no one wear. would call this lavender, like someone would call this lavender and everyone would be like, that's not lavender. Right. Don't say that. That's not this color. This is more of a blue or, or like. They a, don't have Yorkies. They have what? Corgis. Corgi Corgi. Yeah. Yorkshire Corg- Corgi. Your right. Yorkshire Corgi. <laughs> right. God. God. Oh, man. These colors are so good together. I yeah. would love to have a sweater that was striped with these colors. Yeah. Yeah. These colors do go very well together. They are. Um, I. Uh, yeah. Like I could imagine. Um, the colors would soften a little bit if it was like a knitted yarn. So like the mm-hmm. sweater would feel it would it'd be a good color. Like I think um, yeah. I bet you there are color. I bet you there are sweaters with these colors. 
somewhere. Now I'm going to have to look for one. Yeah. I won't be happy till I find one. I might have right. to have someone. I might commission a knit. I I think you could definitely commission me to make a hat with these colors, a stripy oh. hat. Um, a sweater is a big commitment. I knit pretty fast, but I have a lot on my plate. So hats are like hats I can pump out. Sweaters. Mm. Mm-hmm. When my mom was much younger and I yeah. was much younger and my adult cousin who is now a like animal doctor what is that i can't veterinarian veterinarian Veterinarian. all i could think of was pediatrician i'm like no that's children which are also a form of animal but not a bimorphic sentimentalist a bimorphic sentimentalist um so uh yeah like my mom was like oh for your cousin your your soon to be cousin like your baby unyet yet unborn cousin uh natasha's birth i'm going to knit the or sew this like cross stitch picture of like a bunch of little like stuffed animals on a shelf and then she was going to frame it and hang it and you know on the wall in the nursery of my cousin although i don't think that my aunt would have probably featured something as quaint as a cross stitch in natasha's baby bedroom because she had like pierced diamond ears and was like in ballet lessons and riding horses when she was a small child and Uh so this sort of seems like not up the right direction for like decor anyway east coast boston people with like horses and ballet and shit yeah and my mom was like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna sew this thing and when she wasn't working on it she would kind of prop it next to the fireplace in our living room and then it just sat there for like two decades (laughs) in a state of like semi-finishedness so it looked at all times like oh somebody just put this here while they went to get a glass of water and they're gonna pick it up and finish it any day now that's so funny so i don't know i mean uh there is a strange glimpse into my childhood mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's so of- that's uh that's funny because i when i i did um when i was in college i did a lot more art than i do now i don't know i do a fair amount of art but anyway i um I had a piece that was uh, in a gallery called, it was an homage to my grandmother and it yes. was basically an unfinished knitted scarf. Um, yeah. But uh, she, Very my grandmother cool. wasn't a big knitter, but she did teach me how to knit and that was mm. definitely, um, yeah. Anyway. That's so cool. Yeah. I loved that art piece. You showed it to me and I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was pretty fun. Um Very cool. Well, uh, do you need to get back to I your do, real world responsibilities? Yes, I do. I do now have to rush off and uh, go pick up a uh, rescue a friend potentially from uh, from the dentist. Um, mm-hmm. So, yep, I will. Uh, I will be in touch. Well, anyway, thank you everybody for listening, <laughs> and um, I'm actually uh, just reading a message from him now. So, um, thank you everybody for listening. And he survived. Uh, yeah, we will. Uh, We will talk to you again soon. Thanks. Yay. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Bye.